prayer this morning. God, we come to a passage, uh, a beautiful story, a surprising story, uh, a story that can be confusing, I guess, to, to some or to all of us. Um, but we see you act, and we see you act in bold and in beautiful and in promising ways. I pray that we would be able to embrace um, the... Uh, that confusing space where we're not sure what's going on. I pray that we'd be able to embrace that time in our lives, in our country and in the world right now, and have hope uh, that you still have vision for us, uh, for our church, for our families, uh, for ourselves, for our country, uh, for the church, the global church, um, that we would be uh, encouraged um, by the presence that we see you take in these uh, confusing times, um, as we see in this passage this morning. Um, Be with us. Strengthen us. Help us to see. Help us to know that we are heard, that you hear us, that you see us. You are with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week, we're in a a series called 2020 Hindsight, and um, we're we're talking a bit more about North Harbor right now, and uh, moving forward, and some changes to our uh, vision for North Harbor, uh, <clears throat> and we, we are starting, before we actually get into that, um, we're starting with these two weeks that really deal with questions. And so last week, um, we started in Genesis 3, where God comes uh, walking through the garden after Adam and Eve have disobeyed, humanity has uh, walked away from God's direction, and uh, instead of a, a sharp finger, uh, God comes with a question. Where are you? And there's lots of questions. We run through it. Jesus does this a lot. But uh, where are you? You know, last week. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asks uh, one person. Um, what are you talking about? Jesus, after the resurrection, he shows up kind of disguised. Uh, not that he put on a disguise. They just didn't realize it was him. And after the resurrection, this couple are walking away from Jerusalem. What are you talking about is the way Jesus starts that conversation. Um, The angel at the grave says, why do you seek the living among the dead? These are all such important questions. And um, I think it can be a refreshing change in how we think about God. That God is a God who comes asking you questions. Where are you? What do you want me to do for you? Uh, what are you talking about? What's on your mind? Um, and I think a lot of us grew up with uh, more of a, a God, you know, that kind of has a, a stern look sometimes, uh, probably because that's the way it was presented a lot to us uh, from the front of the church. And uh, we have a God that asks questions. And I love that. I love that until we realize, we start thinking about the questions and we're like, I don't know. You know, uh, these questions can destabilize us a little bit. Um, So on the one hand, it's a refreshing change, but it can kind of destabilize us because I think uh, that a lot of people, I I have this belief that a lot of people go to church looking for answers. Uh, And there are certainly answers in Scripture. Um, I think we're going to see an answer in Scripture today, you know, and there are a lot of answers. But I think sometimes uh, that the church uh, 
being led by people who want answers, uh, kind of get over-focused on just trying to present nice and neat and clean answers. And this past year, at least for me personally, and I believe this is true for many people, um, there have been a lot of questions, and it can be very destabilizing. And actually, that can be a very powerful and a very good place to be, even though it may feel a bit uncomfortable. Um, and I think that part of the reason uh, we've seen in this past year uh, people, uh, at least in the church in America, leaving church is that they're, you know, it's a time of great question and maybe they're not getting the answers that fit the questions anymore. And so sometimes, at least in my early years, it just felt like church was this place where you're going to get nice, neat answers to life's complicated questions. And then we come to scripture and we realize God is oftentimes leading with questions. And we don't sometimes want that. We don't want questions. We want answers. And so we can feel a bit destabilized. Um, My suggestion is that that can be a very good place to be. And I think that we see that in Scripture and that God shows up in a really powerful place in the midst of those questions. So we're going to look at more questions. Uh, The questions invite us to go deeper. And um, I... uh, it's hard. It's hard to go deeper. Um, <clears throat> it can be very hard, difficult time. Um, I've been starting my week. You know, I, I get rest on Monday, and then Tuesday is like everyone else's Monday. It's a very busy day for me. And oftentimes, if, if I've gotten enough sleep and, you know, done the things I should to take care of myself uh, Sunday afternoon and Monday, I, I can wake up and be really excited about church. And there's something I've been doing lately um, that has kind of wrecked all that. I've been reading a book called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, and it's a story about a pastor who's realizing that there was just a lot of things in his own life, his family history, um, his personal practice that he was not attending to that was um, just kind of toxic. And he was leading a church, and it was spilling out into the church. And he, pre- he presents a, a vision for moving forward in an emotionally healthy way. And it's a, it's a, really, good, it's a really good book, um, uh, Pete Casero. And uh, I, I'm reading about these things uh, that he has implemented and changed in his church. And uh, it's really cool to see that North Harbor's got a grasp on some of these things. Uh, but it's also excited, exciting to think about, you know, what could be this, this idea of vision. Then... Um, after reading a little bit, I've, I've been listening to this podcast called The Rise and Fall of, of Mars Hill Church. And so this is a podcast that is sort of like a documentary going inside uh, this sort of uh, exponential rise of this leader and his church and then a church planting network and then how it all crumbled and just fell apart. And there was all this wounded, just wounded people behind And it's not just about that church. It's really about, uh, well, it's about that church, but it's also about all the sort of the undercurrents of uh, American evangelical church that gave rise to all this that happened um, out in the East, in the West Coast. And so then I, you know, so I listened to that. This is Tuesday morning, I'm ready to go, and by the time I'm done reading a chapter and then listening to that, I have no idea <laughs> what church is anymore. You know, I, I'm just like, I, I don't know. Uh, 
you know, or we don't want wounded people, you know, uh, in the way. I mean, this guy used that. There's people who have been run over by the bus of this church, and there's wounded behind it. He uses this kind of language, and it seems okay with it because the mission is so important. But I'm not sure the mission of Jesus is about wounded people. No. You know, and uh, I shouldn't say I'm not sure. I'm sure that's not, <laughs> that's not the mission. Um, and so I'm starting the week, really, looking at North Harbor and thinking about a passage and uh, thinking about um, who do I need to connect with, what kind of administrative things. And I, I'm just going in on Tuesday, and I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of questions. And so a year ago, we're outside at Thomas Point Beach, and we're saying this is a time of, you know, to keep your ear to the ground, and for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, and I said that, and I thought, yeah, that's, it's a crazy time, and now it's still going. And I'm like, it, it's not any easier. It's harder now, I feel like. And I heard this earlier, talking with someone who was volunteering. It just seems like it's, it's harder. It's still hard. And so we have this real destabilizing time uh, that we're in. That's very disorienting. I feel that way. Uh, for the last two Sundays, I have felt I've come in uh, just with the, not with church, but with things that you know we've been dealing with as a family. I, I've just kind of barely been holding it together before the service. Last night, I got such a good night's sleep. I went to bed at nine o'clock. I wake up. I'm in a good mood, and I'm thinking this is great. And then Graham's practicing his practicing his songs, and I nearly lose it out here. Talking about, the, I think, the next song up, you know, about how I rise, we rise. And I'm just thinking about the promise of that, that song and the promise of Scripture that we see here in the midst of difficult circumstances. And I'm thinking, I hope that's true, you know, and that we will rise and that God is king. God is risen from the dead. And, uh, you know, it can be difficult. So thanks for ruining my morning, Graham. <laughs> I thought, I'm going to make it this morning. No, no. But it's good. It's good. God is good. You know, uh, Jesus said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, right? Right. And we think, yeah, amen. We say, amen. That's good. Until we're the seed. (laughs) Until we're the seed. Or our church is a seed. Or the way we've been doing church is a seed. Or the things we expected from church are the seed. Or the things we expected from family are the seed. It's got to die. And it's always surprising to me that it's surprising to me. And it's always surprising to me that it's surprising to everyone else. Because this is the story of Jesus. He goes to his death and says, follow me. And that means death. And I think we're in that one of those times where things are changing. And we've got to embrace it as hard as that is to do. There's a promise on the other side. And we see that come out in this story. Um, okay. Yeah, let's get to that story. All right, this is one of my favorite stories. We're going to Genesis 16. We have a couple more questions that God leads with, or the angel of God leads with in this story. The promise, there's been a promise. After we see all of the unwinding of creation and the falling apart and the the disintegration of what God has created in Genesis 2, um, it just keeps going a downward spiral. And then in chapter 12, God calls Abraham and Sarah uh, I think at this point there's still Abram and Sarah. Sarai. I'm just going to say Abraham and Sarah. Okay, uh, their name hasn't been changed yet, but that's it rolls off the tongue easier. And uh, so calls Abraham and Sarah and says, uh, "You will be a great nation, and 
the whole world will be blessed through your descendants. This is the promise. This is one of the key promises in the Bible. Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise, and the birth of the church is the, pro- the, the fulfillment of this promise, uh, that the gospel goes out to all the families on the face of the earth. Amen. And so this is, that's a very key point. And um, this family, so we're moving along in this family, and there's a, the problem is uh, they're promised many descendants and just hasn't happened. Uh, Sarah's not been able to have any children, and so uh, they come up with a plan, and uh, this family puts the fun in dysfunctional. They really do. Uh, it says, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. Now, in that sentence alone, we know that this is going to be a mess. This is not going to go smoothly. And actually, in, uh, in English, the way it's written, you got to make it work for English grammar. In Hebrew, no kidding, it's really strange because it begins with uh, the term Sarah... It ends with the term Hagar, this, this, the Egyptian slave, and right in the middle is Abram, Abraham, of descendants. And that's unusual because you don't usually start a sentence in Hebrew with the subject. So the fact that Sarah's name comes first is a signal. They're writing that as a signal to the reader that something different is going on here. And so you have uh, Sarah, Hagar, and Abraham. This is not going to go well. These are the main characters, and there's going to be a conflict that happens here. So Sarah said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. And if we just stop right there and say, this is going to be another Adam and Eve story. This is going to be a a story that is so much like the Adam and Eve story. And here's one of those things. Because uh, when when humanity is approached, um, and God says, where are you? Oh, the woman you gave me, she's the one that tempted me. Oh, it's a serpent that tempted me. There's all this finger pointing. So we have that here. We sort of get a clue that this is kind of something very similar. The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps we can have children through her. It's not going to go well. Yeah, and now this is something that's pretty common. I think when we read this, We think they're being disobedient and they're taking things into their own hands. We've already seen in the chapter ahead of this that Abram is concerned. Like, I I don't have an heir. We have this promise, but we we don't have any children. I'm going to pass down my fortune and my wealth and the promises that God has given me to uh, this servant, this high-ranking servant in my household. And God says, no, you will have children. Now, he doesn't say that to Sarah at this point. That comes later. The promise is that Abraham will have children. And so this scenario would still work, even though it seems so very strange to us in our culture. In that culture, as horrible as it is to say, if you have a slave, they're your property, so their kids are your property. Here's the way we're going to see that promise fulfilled. They're just thinking about how we're going to do this. You know, there's this... In between space, liminal space, right? A liminal space is the hallway because it's not in any one room. A liminal space is in between here and there. Liminal space is, uh, we're not quite sure if we're here or there, uh, left or right, forward or backward. And right now, that's where they're living. They're like, we, we got this promise. We've acted on it. We've done all these things. We've left our family. We've gone to a place we didn't even know we were going until God told us, oh, you're here already. You know, it's time to unpack. They don't know. 
So we're trying to figure out what are we going to do? We do that all the time. We've been doing it for a year and a half with this pandemic. Where are we? Uh, I don't know. Let's try this. Let's try this. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. Which reads in Hebrew, perhaps I can build myself up. There's like a reflexive nature to this. I can build myself up. There's an issue of esteem and status and uh, being ranked high in their circle of friends. And she's very much worried about herself and how she's viewed by others. I will build myself up, which is not the promise. The promise is that the families of the earth will be blessed. I will build myself up. Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. So Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. That is what Eve does. She takes and gives and takes the apple, or takes the fruit and gives to her husband. She takes her servant and gives to Abram. And Abram, like Eve, is rather passive in this whole thing. He's just kind of going along with whatever the, the plan is, right? Much like Adam. Abram replied, look, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm skipping ahead. Um, so Abram had sexual relations with Hagar. She became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarah, with contempt. Because now she's pregnant and Sarah's not. And she can hold it over her head. And this is the mess we saw. We got Hagar, we got Sarah, Abram's in the middle. And this is not going to go well. There's this issue of esteem and who's higher and holding each other contempt, pushing each other down, because they're in this in-between space. We don't know which way is up. Then Sarah said to Abram, this is your fault. I love this. This is great. That's your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abram's like, look... She's your servant. Deal with her as you see fit. Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. She treated her harshly. Okay, This is the same term used in the next book, in the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, where the Israelites were treated harshly. It's the same term. And it's another signal to us as readers that there's something going on here. Uh, in this story, it's the Egyptian who's being harshly treated by the Hebrew. And in the next book, it's the Hebrews who are being harshly treated by the Egyptians. Um, we are not so like, we are not so unlike each other, are we? Those people, right, who are different than us, we would never be like that. This story says, nope. <laughs> There's an issue of identity, ethnic identity going on here. And we are not so like those people. And so you have this incredible story. And I think that every, oftentimes when I read this, it's always presented as they were disobedient. God said that Sarah would have kids. We don't know that yet. That has not been mentioned that Sarah would be the bearer of these kids. Only that Abraham would be blessed. And it's complicated. And it's messy. And 
it's oh gosh, it's like a soap opera on TV these days. Uh, I haven't watched many shows like that in a long, long time, but it's like that. And it's easy to gloss over and to look at the promises of God and say, it's all good. God's going to be with us. God's going to bless us. And I believe that's true. It is true. It is true. I believe that that's true. But we can't miss how common the situation is where we are in a space that is so complicated and so complex and there's so much emotions going on and there's uh, past hurts going on. And, you know, there's a slave involved. And what do we do about that? That's, that's not good. Um, she's, she's got things going on where she, she doesn't want to be there. Sarah doesn't want to be there. Abraham is called by God to, you know, forge forward in the salvation of humanity. And, and yet, they're still dealing with all this drama. They're, they're, they're using the, the resources they have to try to figure out this complicated situation. The angel of the Lord, so Hagar runs away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside the, side, the spring in, beside a spring of water in the wilderness, along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from? And where are you going? So, when we're introduced to this, the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness. We have this idea of an oasis in the wilderness. The wilderness is going to signal to us there's trouble. The wilderness is a place where there's not many resources. Um, There's not many things there to provide life. It's absent of people. It's absent of uh, the kind of things that provide for a good life. This signals to us, the reader, that, or the ancient reader anyway, that this is not a good place to be. And I love it because it does symbolize what's going on here. This is a desert. There are not good relationships going on between God and uh, Abram and Sarah and, and the servant. It's a struggle. And yet there's an oasis there. She stopped by an oasis. An oasis is a, is a symbol of hope in a dry land, in a dry place. And so we have these competing images here. She's on the verge of death. Death is on her doorstep. She's not going to make it alone as a slave heading to Egypt in, a, in the wilderness. Right. So she and her baby, are, they're going to find their end there. Except that she's by this oasis. So there's this glimmer of hope. And it's interesting. It says, the angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant. And so as the, as the angel comes in and addresses this situation, it's very clear, the relationship here. Hagar, it's not vague. Sarah's servant. In other words, as this voice comes in, it's addressing the situation as it is. Not ambiguous. Where have you come from and where are you going? And there's the question. We've had this mess back here. You've got to look at it. You've got to acknowledge it. 
Let's just take a moment and ask the question, where have you come from? And where are you going? What's the vision for the future? She says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. So she gives this sort of duh reply, you know, like, I think I still got a relative in the family that does that all the time. Duh, you know, yes. <laughs> and I think, we got to drop that. You know, that's, that was, uh, that's an old thing. We could drop the, but that's the, that's the kind of uh, answer that she gives. This is a very complicated situation. You're meeting the angel of the Lord in the desert. Probably, maybe she doesn't realize it might just look like a person. But there's a question about her past, and she just gives this kind of glossed over, well, of course, I'm running away from my mistress. The angel Lord said to her, return to your mistress, submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. Now, we have to stop right here and say that this is a story about what happened. Okay, This is not a story about how to deal with a situation like this. It's not prescribing any sort of way forward for us. In other words, if someone's being abused, we don't tell them to go back. Okay, We're just reading what happened here. Um, we need to be more sensitive to that. Um, this is not giving us instruction to those who are being abused to go back and submit to the authority of the person over them. Right? We got that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And from here, we get this turning point of looking forward. Because up until this point, there's been no vision. It's just sort of escaping. It's just looking back on this mess. And how can I get out of it? Where are we going? Not quite sure. Just went into the desert. There's not many opportunities out there. You find an oasis, better get some water, see how much longer you can go. But there's not much of a vision for what life looks like moving forward. And it's because it's such a mess. You know, we're just trying to manage the past. And oftentimes managing it means just running, just getting out of there, just trying to leave. And, I, you know, I feel like this. That's what I've been, you know, feeling like for quite a while is that, uh, uh, you know, family life's been tough. Uh, understanding, you know, what the future is is, is tough. And so we're just kind of like glossing over things in our mind and just getting out of here. How can we just get out? Give us clean answers. Give me a good sermon that says, here's how it's going to be. And, you know, let's praise God and get up and sing and it's all going to be good when we leave the building. No, well, no, it's not that easy. And the question is, where have you come from? One of the one of the things that well, we've seen in this uh, in this book I've been reading, which is which is so good, is dealing with the iceberg, right? You know, we we tend to deal with the tip of the iceberg above the water. And what this pastor has been talking about is that if I was going to get healthy, if he's going to get healthy in family. And with the church, there's all this stuff beneath the water that needs to be dealt with. And I think that was a painful truth for him to realize. Where have you come from? I got a whole load of family issues that I've inherited. We got a whole load of cultural issues that we've inherited as a church. We have uh, a whole load of national issues 
that we've inherited as a church that we haven't really dealt with or haven't talked about very clearly, just trying to move on to the next thing. So we got to ask that question. What is that? Where have you come from? Where have you come from? She gives a kind of a minimalist answer. Let's just move on. He says, go on back. We've got to deal with this. I will give you more descendants than you can count. The angel Lord said to her, uh, oh, the, the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. He will live in open hostility against his relatives. Now, that doesn't sound great, but I mean, in the context of what we're seeing here, this is a great blessing to her. God hears. God sees me. In this moment of confusion, there's someone who sees me and hears. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, I have truly seen the one who sees me. So that well, that oasis, was named Ber Laharoi, which means well of the living God who sees me. And it can be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Ishmael means God hears. God hears me. So in that confusion, that distress, that in-between place, God hears, and this future, which seems really vague, becomes a possibility. He's not a father. Her son is not a father of many nations yet, but it will be. And there's this vision of something that is true, that is born out of God, and is a blessing. And so it all starts with this question. Where are you going? Where have you been and where are you going? And it leads to this aha moment where a new future authored by by God becomes a possibility. This is one of the questions. We talked a little bit about this at the annual meeting. Where has North Harbor been? My previous experience with church has been a very seeker-driven model And on the one hand, I felt like that pace could not, I couldn't sustain it. So we moved to start a church that was a bit more contemporary and casual from the ground up. But at the same time, I brought a lot of that attitude and that approach with me. Um, So a seeker-driven model, I think, sees people more as clients uh, or as a commodity at worst um, than a flock. 
And we tend to look at business models rather than what Jesus does, leading with questions. A community. A family. And so one of the things that we're thinking about at this point is how do we move forward as a family? You know, you look at Jesus, he goes out and he pronounces the kingdom of heaven many times, and people go with it or they don't. He tells stories about, you know, the shepherd leaving the 99 to find the one, which I really believe is about reaching the people on the margins that everyone's invited. But at the same time, if people don't like a sermon, he doesn't chase them down afterwards. I think of the healing with the man with the demoniac. The town wants him to leave. Get out of here. We don't want you here. You have disrupted everything. Except for one guy, the one that had that close contact, the one that was healed. And his disciples. Can I go with you? And even then, Jesus says, no, <laughs> you got to stay here. You have a message for this place. Um, he teaches on the, the blood and, you know, drinking the blood and eating the flesh. Everyone leaves. Except his disciples. Are you going to leave too? No. You're the only one we know with the words of life. And they follow. So we're in that space as a church. I just, this morning, I'm talking to someone and they're like, you know, I miss seeing this person. I miss seeing that person. I miss seeing these people. And I have nothing definite to add. I don't know. Yeah, I know. We, we're trying. We reached, we've been reaching out to people. And I don't know what the future holds as far as who's going to be here. Right now, we're in this in-between space of where are we going to meet. And we have people praying about it at that Desert's place. And I believe that if we're focused on God, that God will lead us. Amen. That we will see a God that hears and sees. Amen. And I think we see this consistently, that God sees us. God hears us. Amen. And sometimes there's a waiting period. Sometimes it seems like just a possibility and nothing definite. But there's something there to hold on to. And it's God. Amen. It's God. Jesus has something for us. Where are we going? You know, and as I mentioned, we're wrestling with that now. And we're continuing to wrestle with it now. And as a family, we need to pray about that. But it's okay to be in that space where we're not quite sure which way is up. We see it so often in Scripture. In the passage we taught on a few weeks ago, um, check this out. It says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. And then here we go. And that he had come from God. Amen. And would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel he had around him. 
And Jesus knew where he had come from. He knew where he was going. Jesus is our home. Right? Yes. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And sometimes I think that the whole journey that we're just trying to learn is that our home is found in Jesus. Amen. That Jesus is our hope. And one of the things I've been thinking lately is how much other things have we been trying to make our home, right? I think we're spinning our wheels until we understand this. And a lot of us in our discipleship are spinning our wheels for many years. I think I'm still spinning my wheels in many ways. Always trying to learn that Jesus is our home. That Jesus has a future for us. That's where we'll be found. That's where we'll be heard. And that's where we'll be seen. Amen. With Christ. Trying to be faithful and in between. Who feels like they're in the in-between right now? Yeah. (laughs) Some of you are putting up two. Yeah, I see two hands going up. For many of you, I would put up two hands. It feels very in-between. And it's those encounters with Jesus, most often through Jesus' people, where I feel heard and seen. And so let's keep praying. Let's keep being faithful. Let's keep that in mind, that our vision for the future is found in Christ. Amen. That we do have to answer that question, where do you come from? Wrestle with that question. Wrestle with the future. And we'll find our way home. Right? Amen. Okay. We will start talking about some things um, about uh, discipleship and at the harbor moving forward. But we got to start with those kind of things. Graham, you want to come up and lead us? In these uh, provoking songs, let's go get those kids, have them sing with us if you'd like, Um, and let's unite our hearts in prayer. God, so often we feel lost, and there are so many, so many stories where we read that, and today I find that encouraging, that I am not alone. Neither am I alone here with this group, nor with your people throughout the ages, that we find ourselves in confusing spots, in painful spots, um, in places where we are wounded in the process. Um, Help us to look at those and be honest, to dive beneath the surface. Give us true eyes to see whatever baggage we carry with us that is not from you, and give us hope for the future, that in Christ we find our home, we find our future, we find our hope, we find our rest, we find a God who loves and sees and hears us. We pray in Jesus' name.